Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode seven, season five of this Spiritual Fix. Today, we are finishing up our Growing Up series by talking about the interviews we've done thus far and looking at the better ways that we can relate as we grow up. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Lutzi. Hello, Anna. (laughs) Jinx. Hey, Christina. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am recovering. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's been a very chaotic, sick period there for a while, which everyone will hear in the next episode because we recorded the next episode before this episode, but yeah, it's okay. How about you? What's been going on? I've been fine. Been great. Nothing to report. Nothing at all. Everything is perfect. Life is perfect. I was going to say, like, there's nothing to report. Kids went back to school. I embraced the schedule and the structure. And school is school and work and like married life. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. You've been doing a meditation. Are you going to talk about that later in the episode? So we shouldn't talk about it now. Oh, I could just talk about it right now. It's like yeah. me, me, you, my stepdaughter, like four of my best friends and my sister, we all are bringing in the new year with a Marissa Pure hypnosis, which yep. I'm sure people are familiar with. We talk about Marissa Pure a lot and it's about letting go of grudges. And so we're listening to it every day. Like the goal is every day for 21 days. We're just committing to the month of January yeah, and listening to it twice a day if possible. And everybody I know who's consistently doing it is reporting good stuff. So that's part of my growing up is listening to this hypnosis, but it's great. And I'll link it in the show notes and I'll link the code I use too. Cause if you use the code, it ends up being like $18 or something instead of 50. Don't quote me on that, but I found a great coupon code online for it. And um, it's great. It's like a 20 minute hypnosis about letting go of grudges and, and, and kind of releasing old stories. And it's great. And I love it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I can say that I'm one of the people who's not consistently doing it, but I am starting to try and do it because it's, have you done it at all? Yeah. I've done it. Like you like, you like (laughs) it. I do like it. I do like it. I, 
I wanted to talk to you and well, maybe we'll talk about this later as about like grudges. I've been thinking about grudges and like, what are they exactly? Mm -hmm. I know old stories is probably a good way of doing it, but it's such an interesting word grudge. What the fuck yeah. does that come from? Like, I don't know, but it's, it's a great hypnosis. Like yeah. I'm purging a lot. And like some people in it are saying how it brings up anger and like another friend, she called me, she's like, I don't know if it's the fact that I just broke up with my ex of 10 years or, or if it's the hypnosis, but I am happier than ever. And like, I feel, I feel 50 pounds lighter and orically like yeah. my aura feels lighter. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. when you can do that in the conscious mind, that's, I mean, conscious and subconscious, cause obviously it's a meditate or a hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So you're not just releasing them on the conscious level. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. And it kind of ties into what I wanted to talk about on this prelude was, yeah. was kind of in the vein of grudges. It's um, estrangement. So there's a live journal by someone named Isendai, I-S-S-E-N-D-A-I.com. And this article of the live journal was quoted in Reddit. And I thought it was so fascinating. So apparently this article is called The Missing Missing Reasons Down the Rabbit Hole. The World of Estranged Parents Forums. So basically, this person studied estranged parents in forums, like I guess Facebook and Reddit and this and that, and and says like very clearly, there's a difference. Like not all estranged parents are abusive. Like clearly, there are some children out there who are toxic or entitled, and they just go no contact with their parents for no good reason. Okay, there are, you know, and not. You know, so not all estranged parents are abusive. Not all estranged parents deserve it. But this author noticed a lot of themes, reoccurring themes on these forums where people would say, like, why has my child stopped talking to me? I don't know. I just don't know. There's no there's missing reasons. And then, like, as you dive into talking to them more and more as their comments in these forums expand, you come to see their missing, missing reasons. And I just find it really fascinating because I feel like it it kind of runs parallel to like what we're saying in this series of growing up of like recognizing other people's realities. It's like these some of some I'm not saying all but some of these estranged parents are completely denying the reality of their children to the point that they don't even know why the child has gone low contact or no contact with them. They're like, they're like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why she doesn't talk to me. My kid wrote me this two page explanation, but it was just abuse. It wasn't a reason. Right. Like and I read like, that in one of that. It was like, like where, or, or I was on the phone with my kid for an hour and they were telling me all the reasons, but they were just, my kid was just abusing me and they weren't actually the reasons. And you're like, what? Are you fucking crazy? Like that? I mean, to think, I mean, the, to, to just play the victim in that yeah. way and not even like i mean maybe it's not really the thing on those forums to to admit to the shit like wouldn't it be amazing if on those estrangement parent forums instead of being like i'm so upset about being estranged and i don't think i deserve it it would be like hey my kid told me that i do this has anybody else gotten that as well and have they been able to get through like how to actually process it and like take responsibility for maybe something that i may have done you know right. what I mean? Like, wouldn't yeah, that be nice? Like this one was the, the way that I found this article is I was reading, am I the asshole? It's a subreddit, A-I-T-A on, on Reddit. It's like my favorite subreddit. And it was this thing about this mom being like, am I the asshole 
for having my husband not go to my daughter's wedding because I was uninvited to her wedding. And basically the mom tells this story of how she was 18 when she met her husband, who was 35 at the time. And she's always been beautiful. And that like, she she's considered a 10 out of 10 or something like she alludes to that and that her daughter's always been resentful of her because you know in high school or whatever boys would always want to meet her and she talks about how she took a trip with the family um like a pre-honeymoon um like girls trip to europe and how on the trip like men kept hitting on her the whole time but not but not her daughter or not her sister-in-law or not anyone else on the trip and how like to curb her daughter's jealousy she like doesn't wear as much makeup or cute clothes around her daughter and things like that and she goes but my daughter disinvited me from the wedding and so my husband's saying he's going to stand by me and not and not go either so basically you know she's like am I the asshole for having my husband support me in this and then like it was funny not funny haha but funny like yeah you can't you can't like lie to reddit Everyone in the comments was like, okay, mom, there is more you are not telling. Like there is like zero chance that your daughter went no contact with you and disinvited you from a wedding because you're prettier than her. Like there has got to be more to the story. What are the other reasons? That's like a bad interview thing. But (laughs) what do you mean? You know, when somebody in an interview is like, what are your strengths or what are your weaknesses? What's your weaknesses? Well, I'm just so attractive that people are jealous of me. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like it's that's like, what she, the fuck? <laughs> yeah, she presented it like it's not my fault. Like I was just born pretty. And but she and she like tried to tone it all down. She's just like, well, my daughter's just always been jealous of that. And it's like everyone's like, okay, there is a small chance that your daughter is going no contact out of jealousy, but it is most likely because there is more stuff going on. What's going on? What's going on? And then as conversations and the, you know, OP meaning original poster responds, it like goes, you come to see there's probably a lot more to it, to it than just that. And then someone posted this down the rabbit hole, the missing, missing reasons. So I don't know why I'm even bringing it up, but I just thought it, it's, it's just interesting how warped reality can be. And I don't know if it's a narcissist thing or a self-protection thing of like, I'm going to completely deny your reality because it doesn't serve who I think I am. Right. Well, I mean, but I also think that it has a lot to do with, like, I think that one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, and it's really relevant with this, is that like growing up, the term is like grow up, right? Like you can think it like when someone's like grow up, right? It's like this, it's used as, it's weaponized, right? And everyone's like, oh, you can't have feelings, right? Like the old paradigm says, if you're being over emotional or you can't handle somebody being mean to you, you need to cope with it by just growing up. And if you grow up, then what people do when they grow up is they suppress their emotions. They suppress their reactions. They do all that kind of stuff, right? And so I feel like it's really relevant to show that like the boomer parents, you know, boomer, and I'm assuming it's mostly boomer parents who are kind of in these estrangement things. If you want to talk generationally, like the boomer parents are basically finding that their approach to emotional suppression as well as like not dealing and recognizing and kind of the way that they've raised millennials as well as gen x is is that you may be seeing that there is this consistent pattern of there's going to be a reckoning someday or another with what happened back then right and and like kind of that whole approach of like grow up suppress your emotions that's what you're supposed to do right? Like that's, that's what adults do. 
adults don't actually say that they have a problem with something adults just you know kind of do that and that is that's the, that's such a legacy that i feel like the baby boomers are have left and then you have all these gen x millennial and well not so much gen z but you have all the millennials in particular but also gen x being like well fuck that like i'm really kind of fucked up like i don't know how to feel my emotions and i don't know how to do this and I was never taught how to do this. And now I'm having to do it as an adult. Maybe I'm in the middle of being a parent and I'm just like, well, God, this is so hard. Why do I have to do all of this at once? And I'm trying to do right by my kids and also right by my own inner kids. I'd be pissed too, you know? I mean, I am pissed. Like I'm pissed, you know, I have my own thing with that. But do you see what I'm trying to say? That like, I feel like the the insult grow up is a lot about this idealistic view that the boomers and probably silent generation, the greatest generation, whatever all created, which is that to be, to suppress your emotions, to suppress your needs, to sacrifice yourself was actually the pinnacle of being grown up. And yet it wasn't actually serving you or anyone around you. Yeah. I could see what you're saying. Yeah. Grow up is more just like, don't make this problem my problem. <laughs> That's really what most people say when they say grow up. But it was funny because you and I were chatting about something and you told me something and I said, Christina, you need to grow up. But I didn't mean it in that way, like, because I was meant in an allusion to this podcast series. I don't oh, remember. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember I do. what it oh, was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was. I was like, okay, Christina, time to grow up about no, whatever it was. it was. It was a perfect example. And it was something I don't even think it's one of the things that we brought up in the in the episode the other day, which we'll kind of do a synopsis. Of, I don't but even like, know what it was about. I, I remember it was he should he, he said, she said, blah, blah, blah. can you say that 10 times fast? Um, it was hearsay. It was basically... Somebody oh, was... had told somebody in the family about something. And then oh. instead of going directly to the person, you go to the original person who told you. You were asking me, do you think so-and-so really said this about me? And yeah. I said, you need to grow up and you need to ask the the original person who said this, did they say it? Yeah. yeah. Instead of playing telephone. Exactly. Because, because those patterns of not only talking badly behind people's backs, which is obviously gossip was one of the kind of one of the things that we talked about the other day on the first episode in the series. Um, but I feel like also indirect communication, right? Like not going directly to the source because you may be afraid to, but also you're just creating anxiety and you're creating more story and you're creating just like more garbage to have to sort through in order to actually get the answer that you really need, which is just to go directly to the source and ask them directly. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's good. Mm -hmm. It's a good idea. Um, so just to kind of well, go, did you, did you did, I did, I did. did. I went directly to the source and then it got a little bit, even more convoluted. I went directly to my father and asked him and he was like, absolutely not. I never would have said that. And then we went back into this circle and turns out he probably did, but either he forgot or maybe <laughs> he realized that it was ridiculous thing to say in the first place so he like reneged on it so it was like it's kind of one of those mysteries but the, the fascinating thing about it is that I don't have a charge about it anymore because I asked him directly I'm not like sitting here being like oh maybe this is the case and this isn't the case I was like so either you know there's there's some falsification happening or there's like an actual thing where they like just don't remember saying that or they've changed their mind and they realize that that's a ridiculous thing but I don't have a charge about it anymore because I asked them directly right nice yeah so. very grown up of you thank you thank you for the advice of making me grown up <laughs> yeah 
Isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So to kind of just go over the first episode in case it's been a a minute since we're every other week now, here's some common signs of things that means that maybe these are, these are different than abuse, different than like, you know, out and out, like really pathological things. These might just be small things, right. That are that are making it so that you're not really able to kind of um, to, to really have that full maturity um, when you're dealing with situations or that it may just be an awareness so that maybe you have a wound or maybe there's something that needs to go on that you can heal. So blow ups is one of those. I talked about this in relation to being over and under stimulated, especially if you're neurodivergent or if you have CPTSD or anything like that, like you're in other words, your nervous system regulation is questionable, like in terms of your ability to stay regulated, which usually in my experience is what leads to blowups. And that's one of those things where being able to figure out the things that regulate your nervous system is kind of a very mature thing to do because you recognize that, you know, you can start to actually see the, the result of those blowups. Um, monetary immaturity, um, meaning using money to basically manipulate people to use people as some sort of way which we'll talk about in a second which is transactional relationships using monetary using money in some way to be able to to get information or get influence within a relationship inappropriate emotional distance uh is all about either like being in that pendulum swing where you're like I'm going to get close to this person and then I'm going to realize that I can, and then I'm going to get really, really far away. And then I'm going to get close again, right? Inappropriate emotional distance either means that you're anxious. So you're too much in somebody's space or you're avoidant and you're just not with it at all. But by being avoidant, you're not actually addressing what's going on, right? Like you don't, you're not given an opportunity to even be in the arena to have the discussion to become mature in your relationships, you're instead just choosing to like not even come to the game, right? You're just like way out there. Um, Rigid boundaries or no boundaries. No boundaries is relatively self-explanatory where you just, you, you go into people's spaces, people come to your space where they shouldn't and you don't have that. Or rigid boundaries are, you have a boundary that is 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 so set in stone it doesn't take into account context or situation or anything like that um transactional relationships uh kind of mentioned that with monetary immaturity transactional relationships is all about uh i am going to be friends with this person because they can give me this right and not necessarily because of like besides like love like they could give me a car ride they're giving Mm -hmm. me a ride to the bus station whatever can, that, can we go back real quick about the rigid boundaries? Cause yeah. I know a lot of women, you know, I just, it's just, I'm not trying to um, say it doesn't happen to men as well. I just, I have more friends who are women who, you know, they date on apps or they date the quote unquote traditional fuck boy, or their heart hasn't broken a hundred times. And they've developed through, through dating in this modern age, like a laundry list of of what do you call it of things they won't put up with or like they're very quick to just discard potential dates and you think it's immature you think it's self-protection like what's the balance and I mean I think it's an interesting thing because I think that some of those boundaries are totally valid and in today's dating world from everything that I've heard like there's a real need to protect yourself 
I think that some of those things may feel like false correlations, right? It may, it like some of them may be false correlations, right? Some of them may be like, um, I know I hate to say, it, I keep thinking of the dog one. Like if someone doesn't allow a dog up onto the bed to sleep at night, then like they're not a person that you want, right? But there's like a lot of reasons why that it doesn't mean that they're a heartless person because they don't let the dog up on the bed. You know what I mean? It could be that like in my case, my dog is always covered in ticks, even when I wash him, even when I try and do that. And so he doesn't get up on the surfaces because we need to protect our own health, right? It doesn't make me a heartless person because you know what I mean? So it's like understanding the correlation that there are other circumstances that lead to certain behaviors as opposed to the one that you've created is kind of where I'm, I'm at with that. Like, I think that it's important to keep rigid boundaries only as long as you recognize that some, some of them are just red flags. Like some of them are massive red flags and they need to stay as rigid as they can, but other ones may just be preferences and you're cr- treating it as a rigid boundary. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, I know, I like, I know someone who's used to like men love bombing her. And so she met this guy and he invited her out to dinner and like two weeks have passed and he hasn't followed up on the dinner date that he proposed when they met. And she wants to like block him or write him off because, you know, if he's a man and the men are the hunters, then he should have followed up by now and asked her out on the date. And so, you know, clearly he's not interested. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, it's the new year and things might have come up and maybe he's busy or maybe he's casually dating other people. And like, you know, he hasn't completely invested in you yet. And like, it's just, I just feel like this person has made some like created a situation where only a certain type of man would have success with her. And I feel like it's unfair to her too, because she's not giving the benefit of the doubt or, you know, or I do. I don't know. God, I, I really don't want to ever have to date again. Like it just all sounds so complicated. But- I know. I know. I feel exactly the same way. Every single one of y'all who is listening to this, who's in the dating field, like, I think both of Anna and I admit that like in a little ways we're out of our depth when it comes to the complexity of how it goes to, to doing those sorts of things, because you have to keep yourself safe. And, and at the same time, like, you know, keeping those rigid boundaries may be good. And then there's a good point to like, understand when you, something may not be an actual boundary and may just be a preference and to understand that that other people's like viewpoints are really important in that when, when it is a preference and not actually something for your safety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Cause, uh, cause I agree. Like I, I remember that terrible movie. He's just not that into you. Oh my God. That was like, for some reason that was like traumatic for me to watch because it was just like, it was like, there was a guy, there was like that moment when the guy was like, ju- I think it was Justin Long. And he was like, if he doesn't talk to you, that night, he's just not that into you. You know, it was like this whole thing. And he just kind of gave these like quotes throughout the movie. It was based on a book. And, um, and you know, maybe maybe that is the case. But I think that at the same time, like, it's really hard to understand the right behavior patterns when people are, it's, it's you know, it's very difficult, yeah. I feel like, in that respect. So. Well, I watched this series on Hulu called Tell Me Lies. The star of it is Grace Van Patten, who was the, the young girl in Nine Perfect Strangers. Yes, yes. And it's a whole series about this this young girl slash woman's experience falling in love with a narcissist in college. And I'm watching it and I start like I totally forgot, like I totally somehow like suppressed it from my memory that I like 
had a very similar situation to this. Like this show is traumatic. It's really fucking hard to watch. And I think it was my stepdaughter who was like, you know what? Every single woman has their own, has their Steven. Like the guy, the, the narcissist in the show is Steven. She's like, every woman has, it's just a rite of passage in this day and age is to date a Steven. And, yeah. and then I started thinking about that in terms of growing up, like what if in this modern era that is part of growing up is everyone just has to jump through that milestone of dating a complete fuckboy narcissist. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, it's true. Like I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a hard one, but, um, cause I'm like thinking right now, my, my mind just opened up to all my part, all the partners that people, all your dated. Stevens, <laughs> all my Stevens. And, and, and I think that my biggest Steven was just the ones that actually rejected me. You know what I mean? Like those were the first ones. And yet I think about, I think I'm like, I'm pretty fragile compared to like, none of them were narcissists, you know, that I could. Oh no, this guy is like lying to her, cheating on her, manipulating her, gaslighting her, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. That's rough. Um, Yeah. Maybe that is, maybe that is part of it. Let's hope not. Let's hope (laughs) not. Let's hope that we can have a a, a better world than that. Um, Okay. So next would be ghosting. So that includes not RSVPing, not delivering any bad news and just deciding to just be completely avoidant and not being there. Uh, Inappropriate exchanges of value, um, which is a close to transactional relationship or monetary immaturity. So I wrote sex for dinner um, as an example of like expecting somebody to have sex with you just because you gave them dinner or something along those lines. Um, Building or allowing someone else to build your bridge of intimacy which is all about the idea of, if you go back to previous episode, previous season, we talk about intimacy and talk about intimacy as if it's a bridge in which love can travel back and forth. And both partners are responsible for building their half of the bridge to meet in the middle. And if you let somebody else build your bridge, then, or if you go over and you start building their bridge, like that's an example of that. Um, Requiring shared realities, which is something we're gonna talk about a lot more today. Um, power plays, which is trying to dominate someone or be submissive or try and being the alpha or any of those kind of language that you use rule and contact breaking contract breaking, excuse me, um, contract breaking, meaning like you've made a contract, you've made rules and you're just breaking them because of one reason or another. Um, and those are examples of it. So that was the first episode, just to give you guys a reminder of it. And then we went into our, uh, I, then we went into our interview with the indomitable black man. Anna, do you want to give us a summary of that interview? Yeah. Well, basically Gabe just kind of discussed the four different types of parenting. There was authoritarian parenting, which is like very patriarchal, very, this is my, my way or the highway. The parent basically and tells the child how to be and think and, and imposes the reality on the child authoritative is also called gentle parenting. And that one is providing children with age appropriate consequences and, and seeing the child as more as a human being that needs to learn versus a child who needs to be punished or, you know, a spawn that needs to be punished. And then you have permissive parenting, which gentle parenting is often confused for permissive parenting. And that's where you don't actually provide consequences. You don't really take the time to educate the the child it's just kind of like 
free range parenting, but not in a conscious way at all. And then you had neglectful parenting where the parent is actually just absent altogether. And I think he said that that one was actually the most dangerous or the most, or having the most uh, negative future consequences is is negligent parenting. It was really important for me because, well, it kind of reminded me of this person I know who does what I thought at the time was conscious parenting, but I realized now was permissive parenting. And it scared me because her children were dangerous and her children were threatening and violent and not fun to be around. And I was like, well, I guess if that's what conscious parenting looks like, I don't want to be a conscious parent. But I realized yeah. now she was being a permissive parent or a negligent parent. Yeah. So that kind of helped, helped me a lot. So anyways... What were you going to say? One of the things that we talked about with Jay is the whole thing of shared realities. I've already mentioned it today in this episode. And to me, the idea of shared of, of realities was mind blowing when I first took the years truly course from Jay and, you know, kind of the idea being the fact that like most of us grew up in an experience where we probably had a, in a situation where our reality was not what it was, was not basically like looked at like like our reality was not necessarily considered or our reality was too considered or something along those lines but one but you know i kind of wanted to link what we were talking about with these different four different types of parenting with this idea of realities because fundamentally jay calls it the block model but basically the block model states that when you have what's called a fused reality which means that somebody has a dominant reality and they are forcing their reality on you. So as a parent to a child or something along those lines, the only thing the person on the receiving end of this can do is they can only comply or defy. They can't choose anything else other than compliance or defiance, right? And so you'll see that all the time. Like you'll see um, parents with kids and the kids are either just like, okay, I'll do it. Even though they don't want to do it at all because, you know, they, they like, you know, their reality and their situation, they're not being listened to things along those lines, or they're completely being defined and, and don't want to do that. So translating that authoritarian is where the parent's reality is dominant. It's the only one that matters. Authoritative is when both realities are relevant and there's an intimacy, meaning that you're actually in it together. Like you're having conflicts and you're still taking both realities into effect, into, into like, into consideration. Permissive is when the child's reality is the only reality that matters. So even if the child is hitting the parent, right. Or something along those lines, the child still gets to do, to have their way. Right. So basically permissive parenting is like the child's reality is all that matters in the parent, even if they're getting hurt or overstimulated or anything like that doesn't matter at all. Um, and then neglectful parenting is when both realities matter, but there's no intimate relationship. So it doesn't even matter. So it's like, it doesn't matter if the kid has their own reality because they literally aren't in a, in a close enough relationship with anyone for it to matter. So they're still not, they may be in their own world, but they're not getting other needs met, basic other needs met. So it doesn't really necessarily matter. Does that make sense to kind of bridge those two between each other? Yeah, I would almost say like permissive parenting. It's not that the child's reality is the only one that matters. It's more like that there was a hierarchy. It's not that only the child's reality exists. It's just that the child's reality is more important. Yeah. But in some ways, I don't even know if it's about reality, but about laziness. Maybe. 
I don't know if it's about laziness. I think it's, there's a lot of fear in permissive parenting. I think that there's a lot of people who are so afraid of causing trauma because they may have gone from authoritative, sorry, authoritarian. They may have been in an authoritarian parent reality was totally dominant. And so now they're swinging the pendulum the other side and they're like, but I'm going to let you do everything because I don't want to traumatize you. Right. I don't want to say no because I don't want you to hate me. Exactly. Exactly. Because they hate their parents. Right. So it's like, it's, it's just one of those things where I think that it actually takes a lot of effort to be a permissive parent. Um, I think that if you're a neglectful parent, that one doesn't necessarily, cause you're just going to not have any conversations or any, com- you know what I mean? Like you're mm-hmm. not even going to be necessarily yeah. in intimacy with them. No, that but- makes sense. What you're saying. And I, and I see it. I mean, I know someone who is permissive and yeah, I can see that this person parents that way for fear of being unloved. Right. Right. And I think that there's a lot of people that do that. And so I think one of the ways that this parenting episode when we talked with Gabe was so important is, is, you know, just one of the realizations that I had the other day when I was kind of connecting all three of these episodes, preparing for this episode was um, that, you know, one of the realities of motherhood for me when I had children was that your reality as a mother, as an individual person, as soon as you have a baby, right? It can't even be a puppy. Like I'm not even just talking, it's a baby, but definitely whenever you have a baby, what happens is that the baby's reality overrides your own, right? Like effectively that's what's happening, right? So when people say you lose your freedom, like it's losing your freedom in the most fundamental way possible, right? And that like you may not have any seconds to yourself, like you, your, your entire reality is overwritten, Right. And if you were in an experience like for me, I grew up in a, in a vastly like neglectful and permissive kind of environment um, for me. And then and then in some cases and then in other cases, it was apparent it was authoritarian. Like I was kind of I had this massive, crazy mishmash, but I was really, really I became an avoidant person, a counter dependent because of the fact that I wanted my reality to be maintained more than anything, like growing up before I had kids, anything like that. Right. So I was the type of person who found it so difficult and detrimental to be in a situation where I was fused with what, where I basically had to comply with somebody else's reality and my reality did not matter at all. Right. So I just became defiant all the time. And then once I gained my independence, quote unquote independence, I just I went into this place where like, I never created really strong attachments just because I wanted my, I wanted to be able to choose my own reality, whatever it was, I wanted to be able to choose my own reality. And I didn't deal with it before I had my daughter. And because of that, my daughter overriding and like basically becoming the dominant person in my world and my reality didn't matter at all was meant that I could either only comply or defy with being a parent, right? And so vast majority of the time I was in compliance and I was miserable because I was just like, I hadn't dealt with the trauma of of how I, my, like the, the authoritarian parenting that I had experienced, right? Like, because, and and it's just a baby. It's literally a baby. The baby has nothing to do with it, but because the baby has so many needs, it it serves as doing it. Does that make sense what I'm talking about? Yes. So basically you were pulled into your daughter's reality as her primary caretaker. And then 
you felt a slave to it because you were so used to having to yield to someone else's reality. Is that, is that kind of what it is? It brought me back to being a kid where I had to, I, where I was forced to like, basically instead of being a mature adult as a parent, because I hadn't dealt with the trauma of the, of like the authoritarian parenting that I had experienced it, I had to relive it because most of the time I could have avoided it. Right. So I lived my entire life for the 14 years or whatever, as an adult, before I had kids jumping around, being as avoidant and counterdependent as I possibly could be. And then when I all of a sudden found myself in motherhood, I couldn't leave. I, I was stuck. I was stuck with my reality being overridden by a baby's and it just brought up the past stuff. So that's where it's like, I, I think it's more of a cautionary tale or it's something that like emphasizes, like it's really important to recognize the kind of parenting that you have had and recognize the, the PTSD or whatever trauma or reaction that you have to being forced into a certain situation, right? To being forced to have your reality, you know, overridden by something else um, before you're in a situation where it, it just feels like that. Because if I had dealt with it, I would have gone into motherhood as a volunteer, feeling as if I had choice. Right. And it wouldn't have been like, I wouldn't have gotten to that fused reality. That's like compliance or defiance. Right. You still um, would have had the sleepless nights and like the endless needs, like how would it right. have been different? Right. What, what, I think what would have been different is, is like all of those mothers who are just like, I love it. I love it. Even though I'm, I'm having to have these sleepless nights and things like that. I love being a mother so much. It took me years to love being a mother. It took me years. And that's just the brutal truth, right? Like I absolutely love and adore my children, but I was very resistant to being a mother because of this. And now I understand it because of the overstimulation and because of this. And now I'm like, I finally get it. I finally get what I have beaten myself up for, for years about. Because it's funny this. you say overstimulation because your kids are like the most quiet, well-behaved kids I know. You would die in my house. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's not like we've actually like they're just just it's just their personality. You know what I mean? Like it's not like we've tried to like it, they just get into their spaces and they get into their like quiet spaces and they're just all good. And then other times they're they're crazy and they spend a lot of time outside running around. And yeah, you're right. They're quiet, but that's, I think that's just a personality and not because we actually force them to be that way. Oh no, I wasn't saying that. I was just saying like, you're very lucky. No, I just, you on just top revealed. of all that, I think that you're really lucky uh, or I should say fortunate. Yeah. Um, I, th I think, I think that we get the kids that we're, we can handle. And I think that you're perfect for handling your children. And I'm perfect for handling mine. Right. Mm-hmm. And all its mm -hmm. beauty. And I'm That's... not always perfect at handling mine. <laughs> and I'm not always perfect at handling mine. But in theory, it's the challenge that we're ready to step up to. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna, do you want to talk a little bit more about what uh Jay talked about with with repair? Yeah. So last episode, we interviewed Jay Fields, and it was really awesome episode about repair and relationships. And one of the hallmark things I took away from that episode was to make repair in a relationship, it's really about stopping the tug of war of, of whose reality gets to win, but see that both realities exist at the same time and that you're both quote unquote justified and 
And like making repair is stepping inside, like really stepping inside the reality and seeing it through their point of view, even if their point of view is quote unquote wrong to you, right? I took that away. And like I had a couple incidents since we recorded it where I applied it to my marriage and it like worked really well. Like Eric did something that I considered to be really inconsiderate and rude. And um, he thought the way I handled it was extremely rude. (laughs) And, and like, when we talked about it, I was like, okay, if I put myself in your shoes, I can see that I was being really rude. And for that, I'm sorry. And I hope that you can put yourself in my shoes and see how in my world, what you did was really inconsiderate. And he was just like, "Mm -hmm." yeah. And so like, and then we let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that so often with good repair, the only thing that matters is like, sometimes it's just being validated. It's just being validated. And then there was another time it wasn't Eric, it was someone else, but said something like, is it possible that we're both right? Like, can we both be right? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. That's the divine feminine. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Right. Cause she right. can take two truths that are opposing. She is like cognitive dissonance. Right. She's mm-hmm. just like, I can take both. I can feel sad and angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like totally Coming back to everything that's just reminded me because a friend of mine actually ended up having a psychic session with Joyce Anastasia, who was in an episode, uh, the NDE episode yes! that we did. I had another and, one with her too. Yeah. And Joyce had like given her some sort of feedback about asking her children what they think about doing something and like some decision the family needed to make. And it reminded me of something I do with my children. So like peril, like just kind of tying in everything. I just want to like put it out there that I think I, I think this is great. I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn here, but like every six months I tell my kids, I'm like, look, I, we all have jobs. And when you have a job, like you have review, your boss reviews you or your peers review you, or if you're a teacher, your students review you. And I need like, I need my review and I'm like, okay, as your mom, what grade would you give me? And then what are my areas of improvement? And it's a great window into their reality. I didn't realize I was doing that at the time, but it's really good because you get to see like, what are the things that are important to them? You know, like, you know, maybe it's, I want you to spend more time alone with me without my sibling, or, you know, I want you to take my side more in arguments, or um, I want you to be, I don't want you to be on your phone so much or whatever, like whatever it comes up. It's like a really good way. Cause so many times we think we know what's best for our child, but like they know too. So why not just ask them? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And it just reminds me of this whole idea of my sister and I were talking about um, there's this new trend where all these movies are parents who actually say that they're sorry. So examples are everything everywhere all at once, which is like literally one of my favorite movies turning Such red. A good one. So good. So good. Really good at actual dimensional reality as opposed to like uh, Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, which is just trash for understanding the multiverse turning red Coco and Kanto, like all of these are like really great examples of, of movies in which, you know, the millennial, millennial parent, like people who are millennials are just like dreaming that their parents are actually going to apologize. And I feel like that practice that you're talking about is a perfect example of like, not of, of even just like heading out or, you know, uh, getting ahead of like having to apologize and be like, yo, I, I need a review. I need to understand how I can be better because I want to touch, I want to be in touch with your reality. And I also 
understand that like I may not be doing it perfectly. And and yeah, that's beautiful. I really love that practice. Thank you, Anna. You're welcome. So the following are some signs that you may be growing up. And because we're all about wounds here on TSF, we're going to relate these back to the wound episodes that we've done in the past. Um, because a lot of these are good examples of what happens when you can kind of heal one of these wounds. And and like we've said in the past, we kind of all have all the wounds. Some of them are more primary than others. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. So the first one is signs that you're growing up is called interdependence. Okay. So you guys have heard us talk about codependence and you've heard us talk about counterdependence. Codependence and counterdependence are both examples of attachment wounds, which is another word for the mother wound. And interdependence is the aspirational place of both of those things. Interdependence says, I love you and I'm there for you, but I am not rescuing you. I'm not going into the drama trial. I'm not rescuing you and I'm not persecuting you and I'm not being victimized by you and vice versa. It's like, it's this beautiful world in which both people have their own lives and their own experiences and they don't, and, and their own realities and everybody's reality is taken into account, but there's still intimacy there. So that's interdependence. Interdependence is kind of what, what we aspire to when we heal the mother wound. So that's an example of that. Does that make sense? Yep. And then another one is generosity of energy, which is being free with your energy. And we can say that that ties into healing of mother wound. We can kind of, we can say also it ties into bhakti, right? Like devotion. And I know that one way we can be non-generous with our energy is to have the martyr complex, right? Like I think on some level when we're being quote unquote stingy with our energy, it's because we fear that it's finite and that people are out to get us, right? And that's kind of going into what Jay Field says is that the martyr sees everything in terms of just one reality, you know, like, and it's a twisted reality where everyone's out to get you. So I think like growing up and recognizing that you get to choose what your story is can help you come out of that martyrdom. Yep. Yep. I I completely agree. And, And one of the things that we talk about in the mother wound series in season three is the whole idea that, that the mother is abundant in everything right and and you can be receptive to that everything so love whatever it is right and and it's our kind of our limiting beliefs about ourselves also can be our external circumstances which make us feel as if there is scarcity in the world and that's just and one of the things that we come to understand is that there is enough to go around most of the time right in one way or another Next one is a wholeness or that there are two realities. And I called this the healing of the father wound because the father wound is all about the idea that there is an identity. Like uh, the father wound is about, you know, identity and value and power. And when you have one reality that is being um, pushed onto you, that is a power play more so than it is anything else. It's overriding your identity. It's overriding your self-worth and your ability to say, this is the way that I think things are too. Like my opinion matters too. And it's taking away your power when somebody overrides your reality. So the idea that, that 
one of the ideas of, of healing the father wound is in creating an autonomous and sovereign being that is not overridden by somebody else's reality. That's not written overridden by someone else's uh, emotional field or how they're physically feeling, or you're not having to constantly cater to somebody else that you're not just an extension of somebody else that you actually, your reality matters. So, you know, it's, it's every, every individual reality is, is important. I mean, it's very similar on the external family. So you and your, your, your actual father or the father, um, depending on where you want to look at it, as well as your internal system, right? Which is the understanding that your parts, yourself is ultimately the leader, but the parts have valid thoughts and things as well. They have valid realities that need to be considered as well. So you can take it on the internal or on the external. So that's the father wound and the understanding of the maturity that comes with finding and understanding everyone's different realities and not claiming they aren't true if they are somebody's mm -hmm. experience. We have next on this list, meeting your own needs, which has to do with the healing of the abandonment wound. And like as, as someone whose primary wound is the abandonment, when I look at this and I'm like, what? I have to meet all my own needs. Ugh, that doesn't sound right. Like, why are we on earth? A man is not an island. Like, no. But what I think that means is you need to meet your own needs. You need to give people the keys. You need to give people the keys to meet your needs. You need to be clear about what your needs are. You need to have backup plans for if that person is incapable of meeting those needs. Like that person's not capable of I'm making this up, making you dinner. Well, you need to learn how to cook then, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Go out to eat sometimes or whatever it is. But like, um, basically recognizing that you do have needs. That's, that's first and foremost yes. with abandonment wound people. And then being clear about what they are and asking the correct people for, for fulfillment of them or then meeting them yourself when needed. Right. And the reason I think I even put re meeting your own needs with this one was because I feel like when we were doing the primal wound series, I feel like there was a real understanding of the fact that like the ultimate expression of healing from the abandonment wound was like, I can never abandon myself. Right. And so the real maturity is not self-abandoning, um, which is ultimately meeting your own needs and wants too. Right. Maybe that too. Uh, next is internal validation, which I would say is like the healing of the rejection wound. So going along that same theme of what we're talking about with the rejection wound, the ultimate in the rejection wound is I cannot self-reject, right? Which is I, I can't get myself to stop doing something because I'm afraid of rejection at the end, right? I am classic rejection wound person who will start 10 million projects and never finish any of them because I'm afraid of the rejection that I'll get in the future. So I'm basically not giving myself the validation that like, it's okay to do this and it's okay to fail. There's a fear of failure in there. There's things along those lines. I feel like internal validation is another way of saying, Hey, guess what? You are still lovable. Even if you get rejected, even if you fail, and even if people don't like you, you know, you're still lovable and you're still that kind of person. And that comes with the maturity of like, I look forward to the time when I'm like much older and I'm like a crone and I don't actually give any fucks about what people think about me. I'm still on that spectrum. You don't, get, you, don't, you don't give a lot of fucks. 
I feel like I give a lot of fucks. Compared I feel to like most do... people, you give very few fucks. I mean, you talked okay. about having diarrhea on a podcast that thousands of people <laughs> listen to. I, I think. <laughs> Thank you for reminding everybody about that. Now they're not going to like me. Oh my god. Uh, okay, so that's that's the healing of the rejection. <laughs> and bathroom topics tie very nicely into the next topic which is the humiliation wound healing <laughs> which is where you heal your self-value your self-identity you learn to have good repair you see yourself as worthy of having healthy relationships worthy of repairing relationships worthy of people repairing relationships with you like I want to put in here it's also accepting compliments um accepting your value in a relationship like yeah. Things like that. Like, you know, like I feel like so many people think their love is not that great a commodity, but like giving someone your love or access to you is, is such a gift. Yeah. And um, remember that, that that's like the best currency out there is your yeah. love. Yeah. Your love, your gratitude, your compassion. Those are all just like tangible. I feel like they're tangible forms of currency of, of currency of love. And I agree accepting compliments, also being okay to admit that you're wrong, which is all I feel like it's part of good repair too, is that if you start to recognize that you have over, that that you maybe had a reaction that you are not proud of and that you recognize was not appropriate in that moment. Like Anna said, I was being inconsiderate. You were being rude, you know, like whatever that is, like admitting that and, and being able to be okay with that, being able to be okay with, with, being wrong and maybe being ashamed of the way that you behaved. Um, next is goodwill. So I've put this as the healing of the injustice wound. Goodwill is this really fucking fascinating thing. It's a really amazing concept to me. And it's something that I've studied in depth for a couple of years, like off and on goodwill can be categorized or, or most easily summarized, I should say as the ability for others who are doing the work and who are doing well to, to succeed, right? It's this idea. It's like this place that you get to for years and years and years. I could not give goodwill. I would see somebody who was doing something that I wanted to do and I would just dislike them. And I would just try and find ways to cut them down in my head. Cause I was just so jealous. Like I was ultimately like, jealous mean? and envious. Like I've wanted to do, I've wanted to help people for so long. I say, isn't this funny? You go, you go to that. I want to help people. It's like, well, first I want to help, help people. Fuck you for helping people. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Right. It's so fucking ridiculous. Right. It's like, oh, apparently I need to like, look at me pointing the finger at them being like, ah, you're so this, or you're so superficial, or you're not saying it right. And say, and look at the three, four fingers pointed back at me to say, actually, I'm being really jealous. And I haven't cultivated the practice of goodwill. And the reason I put this under the injustice wound is that the injustice wound is very um, is very rigid and is also very transactional, right? And the and the way that it says is that like if you're not a hundred percent right, and if you're not a hundred percent doing what you're supposed to do, it's not okay. Like it's not good enough, right? And you need to kind of do that. So that's why the healing of the injustice wound is all about like goodwill. And as, as I call it additive intimacy, where you're just like, let's just keep doing this. Like, I don't need something back in order to be able to give something to somebody, even if I've not directly received anything from them. 
right? Like I'm okay with recognizing that I may have been jealous of this person, but some people are getting a lot of really good benefit from this. I had a, I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but I had a boyfriend who would fucking hate yoga teachers who we thought were only commercial yoga teachers. Like he would just like be so, so against them. And he would just be like, had just throw this vitriol at them all the time. And I was like, what the fuck? But he was dude? fine with CEOs of like major. Right. Companies. Yeah, exactly. I was like, why are you, why are you attacking the people who are, even if they're not getting it quite on the note, even if they're not quite getting it, they're at least heading people in the right direction. And he was like, yeah, but it's so much more. He was like, it's so much more detrimental. And I was like, I don't think so, dude. I think it's like a, it's like if people are headed in that direction, they may just want to get fit. Like they may not care about all the other stuff. And then maybe they might find a teacher who wants them to do more pranayama or wants them to do more meditation. And they kind of, it's a pipeline. It's a gateway, right? Like maybe commercial yoga is a gateway drug to the rest of the experience that is actually leads to a deeper yogic union. And therefore, fuck, just give them goodwill. You know, hope that they don't harm anybody. As long as nobody's abusing anybody, we're okay. And I remember like um, people being, I've had friends or someone say like, oh, so-and-so is a healer. They charge so much or so-and-so is a psychic. They shouldn't charge or that person's a meditation teacher, whatever they shouldn't charge. And I'm like, why not? Like who more deserves your money than these people putting this cool stuff out there in the world? Like you have no issues paying for your gas. You have no issues paying for your food, like, or whatever. Like these people more than anyone deserve the money, I think. I completely agree. And that, and that has, that speaks to the uh, next one that we're going to do, right? Yes. Yes. We're talking about um, on the list would be abundance mindset. So abundance mindset would be healing of the money wound, which we're going to talk about later, but not just abundance mindset, but like being financially smart, like not impulsively spending, like saving properly, knowing how much money's in your wallet, knowing how much money's in the bank account, like being smart with your money. Um, that is also a sign of growing up, but that when that topic comes up later in the season and this season, exactly the money wound and, and, and obviously all of my neurodivergent people out there who may have ADHD and may, may experience the ADHD tax of, well, I need my dopamine. So I'm going to go buy a bunch of stuff, or I'm going to go buy this thing over there. That is 100% an understanding of, of a reality that may be the case, but there are ways of, of gaining uh, maturity or gaining understanding of yourself to be able to kind of get over, um, not get over, but kind of manage that tendency within yourself. So that's that. Uh, next is surrender, which I say is the healing of the betrayal wound. The betrayal wounds mask is all about control. And what we are saying with the betrayal wound, that surrender is this experience of committing to something not even if you don't have control over it, right? Um, it's it's about an understanding that like it, things are still okay even if you don't control them, right? And that's what and, and that surrender is there to say I might experience a little bit of pain or discomfort or something that's unfamiliar, and actually that's all still okay as long as it's within the boundary of where I'd like to operate with. I'm where I'm in a space of you know, this, this, this one brings into the, the, the fold, the dynamic boundary. And as the more and more you heal, the more you find that you have this dynamic boundary that may allow a lot more experiences and different types of relationships, some of which may feel uncomfortable, but actually our growth 
edges for you, right? That are places where you're actually in a space where you're going to grow. And that, and I feel like surrendering within that boundary and kind of constantly pushing that boundary is, is part of that healing of the betrayal wound where you're giving up and you're relinquishing control that much more. And also setting a healthy dynamic boundary that grows as you grow. The next one that we're going to talk about is self-love, which is also a wound that we haven't quite talked about yet, which is what I call the separation wound. We've talked about how the shadow chakras of like the throat is injustice and the heart is rejection and the, the um, solar plexus is betrayal. The sacral is abandonment and the root is humiliation. As you go up, you've discovered that the separation wound sits probably in the um, third eye chakra. The basic idea being that this, this general unworthiness or this feeling of, of not being worthy of love, not being lovable can be said to be probably a healing of the mother wound. But also I think that it's ultimately a, um, a healing of the separation that we feel when, um, like when we maybe feel alone on earth, right? It's kind of a, it's a bigger, very much more existential one. So that's what I mean by that. And then the last one. Um, and then the last sign of growing up is to kind of give yourself a pat on the back and recognize when you have, uh, I want to say succeeded or overcome some, some um, unwanted behaviors. And we talk a lot in the first season of this entire show about frequency, duration, intensity, meaning when you look back at an undesired behavior, an undesired trigger, like is the frequency with which those triggers are arising less, meaning do they come up less often? Is the duration shorter, meaning like something that used to upset you for three hours, now it's just two, or maybe it's one, maybe it's five minutes, or maybe it's not at all. Like is the duration, is the length of time shortening? And then is the intensity changing? Is something that used to be on a scale of zero to 10, a 10 out of 10, now only bothering you a four out of 10, you know, things like that. So like also just kind of recognizing how much you've grown up is part of growing up. I would agree. I would agree. I think it's, I think it's, it's an understanding of nuance and getting rid of all or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking sometimes gets really, really hard to come out and you're like, well, I just had a blow up. And now I'm so, you know, like hating on yourself and doing whatever because you just blew up and, you know, th those sorts of experiences. But instead of saying, actually, okay, I'm not going to have all or nothing thinking here and just say that having a blow up means that I failed it. I'm going to actually understand the nuance of it. I remember um, I was in a really difficult relationship when, and I was moving overseas and I remember my partner at the time was like, you are constantly blowing up. Like every day you're having this massive blow up. There were a lot of reasons I was having a blow up. I was in what was what I would call my mother relationship, which we've never talked about on the podcast, but it was my understanding that like, sometimes we have partners that mimic traumatic relationships and it's a second opportunity for us to kind of get over them. So that for me was like my mother relationship. And I remember there was a time period in which I tried to count the number of days. I tried to suppress any, any reaction, any argument, any negative reaction at all. And I was counting the days and I was counting the days and it was very all or nothing thinking, right. To be like, I couldn't have, I either had counting to go the days from, of what a blow counting up? the days from a blow for, from when I had my last blow up, right. Kind of like in a factory where they're like, it's been 10 days since we've had an accident in this factory. I would say that I would have that same thinking. I've been like, sober for 10 days or whatever. <laughs> I've been sober from blowing up and having an argument or causing an argument for 10 days, you know, but like, that's very all or nothing. 
because maybe I can find a different way as opposed to just suppression or total explosion. Like there's a middle ground in between there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what's a way that you haven't grown up, Anna? And maybe what's a way you have? I don't want to grow up. (laughs) I'm just a Toys R Us kid. I think one of the ways I haven't grown up is wanting to completely get out of the drama triangle because I've been doing the Marissa peer hypnosis on letting go of grudges. And in doing so, I recognize like one of the things she says on the hypnosis is like, like whatever so-and-so did to you, I like see it as insignificant as yesterday's shower water going down the drain. Like it's an event. It happened. It's gone. And recognizing my role in perpetuating stories. Like I don't hold on to yesterday's shower water. Like I give no fucks about, I couldn't tell you how many showers I've taken. I can't tell you how much shower water has gone down that drain. Like it's just been insignificant to my life. And yet I consciously choose to hold on to certain events and tell stories over and over again about events that have long gone. They've they've come, they've arisen, they've passed, they are no longer in the story. These people don't live in this country anymore, or these people are dead, or I've broken up with these people, or this happened in second grade, like just these stories. And I myself have made a commitment to the stories by holding on to them. And why? So I can get that dopamine rush of I'm the victim and the persecutor. Yeah. You know, and I think. For me, I'm in the process. I don't want to say I've, I've been there, done that. I might not ever overcome it in this life and that's okay. Um, but I'm recognizing how I am addicted to those stories. Mm-hmm. And that's part of growing up for me is like, like how much can I let go? So, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think what about you? So my way that I haven't grown up, which is something that I've become really, really aware of these last couple of weeks, which is why I'm bringing it up is, um, is shit talking. I gossip. Oh, you do? You don't gossip do. to me? Where's that good gossip? <laughs> no, what I do is I'm just kidding. I, but I, what you I don't do, gossip to me. Well, I do. You're right. I don't. I think I probably do it to Luke the most. Um. But basically it's that thing that's like that holier than thou bullshit, right? Which is like totally gets rid of the whole, like we talked about it a lot in the humiliation wound about hierarchy, right? Like I feel like injustice and and humiliation talk a lot about hierarchy and about like, I feel like I'm better or more advanced than them. And I have worked for fucking years to get rid of all that bullshit of like, and I'm talking, not talking about like anything other than like spiritual work, or I did this much work, or I did this more work or things like that. Like, I think that I like to talk about people's drama, especially if it's not my own. And then I get a little rush by thinking it's not my fucked up life. It's somebody else's fucked up life. And I say that as in like, I never do this. And for my clients, like I fucking love my clients and all of their stuff. And, you know, like it's, it's not about that. It's just people I know who I, it's just like, it's like watching reality TV, but I don't watch reality TV. And because I don't watch reality TV, I like see it in people around me and I like choose to judge. And so that's like something that I've worked really hard and I do it a lot in my family. I think that's more so than anything. Like I've, I've kind of dissipated that over the years for, for friends because I realized that it would always come back 
And even Luke today was like, we got to not say bad things about anybody in our community because it's so small. You're going to go end up talking to somebody's like daughter who you just shit talked two days ago, which happened to him like two days ago. <laughs> like he he was like shit talking to somebody who had done work at our house. And he it ended up that that was his daughter. And you're oh like, God. okay, like that's just a fucking no, no. And I am learning that. And I am learning that so hardcore because it was done to me and it felt so bad because it feels like everyone's being deceptive and that you're not valuable enough to be able to tell the truth to, but I'm going to tell the truth to everyone around you. So those are, those are the things that I'm working on improving with growing up. Okay. This is a crazy story. Crazy, crazy story. First of all, I never shit talk people. Just kidding. But for the most part, I haven't shit talk people since I was in college really like I, I pretty much have given it up like I just don't really unless someone really really rubs my Scorpio moon the wrong way but for the most part like I don't just sit around and gossip and shit talk so a friend of mine was tagged in some photos on Instagram and I went and for whatever reason I went and looked at the profile of the person who had tagged my friend and it was like this narcissistic man who like 99% of all the photos in his profile were like selfies of him like chopping wood without a shirt on and like wearing a this costume or that costume where like it's literally just underwear briefs and then like like posing and it was just like this man was like in his 40s or 50s and he was handsome but like it was just way too it was like obviously one of these quote-unquote pick me instagrams right and I started talking so much shit about it. I forwarded it to some friends and like, we laughed and we're like, look at this guy. He, he's like what 12 year old boys think women want. And, and, and like, you know, because it was just so like cringy and uncomfortable and I was talking shit about him and I felt a little guilty about that. Now the following day I had a break between patients And I was like, I need to go get a manicure. And I decided to go out of my way, like five additional minutes to go to this one shop that I know like never messes up my nails. I finished my manicure. I come out. There are 5 million people in Atlanta. Okay. I have never met this person. I walk out of the salon and guess who I see? Him. That guy that I was shit talking. (laughs) And I look at him and my jaw drops. Like I know him and I like mouth to him as if I know him. And he's probably like, oh yeah, she follows my Instagram or whatever. Um, The point is I literally run into the guy. Yeah. And I didn't believe it. So I even took a photo of his back and I sent it to my friend. I'm like, is this the person that tagged you? And they're like, yeah, that's totally him. That's Sully's jacket. And I was like, oh my God, Atlanta, Georgia, population 5 million people. I freaking see the guy I've been making fun of and shit talking the following day. It was like a massive sign from the universe to shut the fuck up because when I saw him as a human and not as the guy on the profile, I could see that he looked uncomfortable in his own skin and that he was like insecure and he he might even have autism. Like, I don't know, but like he might just be creating this persona on Instagram to meet some unmet needs in him. And I instantly felt, I didn't feel humiliated. I didn't feel humiliated. I just felt like he's so much more than what I made him out to be. And like, I need to not do this. It perfectly describes what I'm talking about too, is that like, I feel like I didn't emphasize it enough probably in that first episode that like gossip and back talking, like it just, it, it gives you, it may give you a dopamine hit. It may give you like that feeling of like, well, I mean, I feel like, I don't know what the tar, what's, it's not fear of missing out. It's like glad you're missing out. Is it, what, is there like a term for that shit? 
You know what I mean? For like, you're just like, I'm going to go look at other people's disasters because at least I'm going to feel better that I'm not in that disaster. Yeah. Maybe that's why I go to Reddit. Am I the asshole? Cause I read all these stories of all these interfamily dynamics and all these crazy stories. And I'm like, thank God that's not my family. Exactly. We, we don't uninvite other family members to weddings. You know, we don't do this stuff. It makes you feel better to get context for how not, you know, how it's like, well, we're fucked up, but we're not that fucked up. Right. Like, yeah, it, it's it's one of those weird things. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I I'm glad I'm missing out is the one that gaima gima is a, is a term that I'm like coming up with. But I am sure this other exists. And if y'all want to email us at this.spiritualfix at gmail.com to tell us what that term actually is, that would be awesome. We'd appreciate it. Um, and uh, so one way that you've grown up as we close. One way that I've grown up. So one way I think I've grown up is seeing how there's more than one reality and how I don't necessarily need to bulldoze my reality and project my reality onto someone else, especially in the hopes that I will look better. Because ironically, when you do that, you don't even, you're not, that's not attractive. Like someone who bulldozes the reality onto me, I don't respect more. Like, so why would I think they would of me? Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, Thank you. And I think for me, the way that I've grown up is coming off the trauma series of last season. um, Everyone knows that I've been kind of dealing with what I would call the elephant in my room, right? Like I can do all the, I, I have literally danced around this elephant for decades not recognizing. And it's been, it's been, it's been like fundamental and foundational to my sense of self. And I've avoided it because I've wanted to keep everything copacetic, but it was never, it was never, it was never harmonious. It was always What's a copacetic, mean? copacetic is like harmony, harmonious kind of, you could say like that. Everything's like, ah, eh, we're, it's a silly, it, I feel like it's like a slang term from like an eighties movie or something at this point, maybe nineties movie, but according point, to dictionary, it means in excellent order. Right. Okay. That's exactly what it was. So that for the longest time in order to keep a very tentative piece, I was willing to completely ignore and take responsibility for something that was actually not my fault at all. And I hadn't created proper boundaries around. And so I think for me, the real sign for me of growing up is finally addressing the elephant in my room, which means, and as a result of that, I've now created like a much healthier dynamic boundary. It's very, it's a very rigid boundary at the moment, but I know that once, once movement happens as a result of that, because that's the thing with boundaries, y'all, when you create a boundaries, other people are forced to react. And sometimes it's the reckoning that's necessary. So For me, I recognize that not creating boundaries is immature because not only does it not allow you to mature, it doesn't, it doesn't allow anybody else to mature either because you're not, you're just letting somebody like plow straight through and always behave the way they've always behaved. And until you create that boundary, you are disservicing both yourself and the person on the other side of that boundary. Um, it may not feel like that at first, especially to them, but that's kind of where I am with it. Is that like creating new boundaries and addressing the elephant in my room, even though it's caused a lot of disharmony, but the disharmony was always there and just acknowledging it and calling a spade a spade, calling a duck a duck has been the way that I've grown up. Mm -hmm. So in 
final thing for our growing up series. We hope that you guys got some out of it. Um, I know that we got a lot of really good feedback about all the interviews and I'm really hoping that y'all may have heard something uh, that was useful in this. I want to end with a quote that we got from that I got from Jay's uh, Jay Fields's newsletter when she was talking about repair. And she says, the main difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship isn't the lack of harm, disharm, it is, it is not a lack of disharmony. It is the presence of repair. So I'm going to say that again. The main difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship isn't a lack of disharmony. Meaning like if you never fight, that does not mean you have a healthy relationship. It's the presence of repair. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Have you left us a review on iTunes? We would really, really appreciate it. If you've gotten anything out of this podcast, we love to see them and it helps us stay on the charts so other people can find us. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.